yes, this is about land and housing and capitalism, but it's also about queerness and women and safe spaces. As long as we try and apply singular struggles, we, we, we really miss the point. You are listening to Think African, a seasonal podcast engaging African thinkers and doers on what it means to think African. Remember to like and review this podcast so that more people like you can find it. Sound Africa is a non-profit organization. Please consider donating if you want to keep hearing more of our podcasts. Visit us at soundafrica.org to learn more. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalab. When a group of seven queer, radical feminists, artists and activists occupied a huge mansion to raise awareness about a lack of land and property rights for the majority of South Africans, they were criticised on all fronts. Their most vocal critics, though, were from the Democratic Alliance, South Africa's opposition political party, which claimed that far from raising awareness about land and property rights, their actions were in fact undermining those very rights. Since then, media reports have revealed that one in four properties on Cape Town's Atlantic seaboard stand vacant due to COVID-19 travel bans, which have led to a drop in tourism since March last year. At the same time, evictions have increased across the country as people can no longer afford to pay rent due to job losses. The illegal occupations of vacant properties in formerly white suburbs is also on the increase. While COVID-19 exposed vast and deep inequalities in South Africa, the question remains, how do we deal with the challenge of land and property rights without infringing on other people's rights? How can we address the historical legacy of racial-spatial planning in South Africa without collapsing the country's fragile economy? How do we house an estimated 30 million black South Africans with no homes or legal tenure without addressing the question of land? Questions of who has a right to own land and where? These questions are not limited to South Africa alone. In fact, they continue to be a source of ongoing conflict in many countries on the continent, from Cameroon to Ethiopia. In this episode of Think African, I caught up with one of We See You activists, Kelly Eve Guapman, an author, director, actress, and co-founder of Colored Mentality, to find out if the ends justify the means. Well, it was kind of at the height of COVID and those of us who have some access and have homes um, were noticing or engaged with various forms of activism and realizing really how um, the COVID crisis amplified so much of the existing social problems that we face now, particularly with land and housing and homelessness and how that intersects with queerness and feminism and safe spaces and just the whole mess of it. There were many moments during the implementation of COVID-19 restrictions when Kelly Eve Guapman felt the world was completely messed up. What she and others saw was an imploding economic and political system whose pillars were snapping under pressure from decades of social injustice. At the height of COVID, South Africans were losing their lives, livelihoods and homes to COVID-19, government corruption and police brutality. 
Those who survived assault, possible jail and death joined a growing number of homeless people in urban cities. They set up camps on tracks of unoccupied land where they put up empty temporary structures. But like moths to a flame, they only succeeded in attracting more violence from the police. That's when 31-year-old Kelly Eve Gopman and six other activists decided to do something that would spark a different conversation. They formed an artist collective called We See You. We started planning this action as both a political statement and wanting to bring something new into the dialogue around occupation, um, a conversation that already kind of demonize and stigmatize occupiers and suggest that perhaps these spaces, these kind of high net individuals, people not living in the country who have massive amounts of wealth and property should be, you know, engaged with and part of the the conversation. And then also added to that, you know, many of the members of our group were facing extreme housing and safety crises um, and so came into it as activists, but also as people just in need. Their goal was to shift the focus from the poor majority and put a spotlight on the rich minority to bridge this ever-widening gap between the wealthiest 20% of the population and the poorest 60% of the population. They searched for accommodation in the upmarket suburbs of Constantia, Hout Bay, Clifton and Camps Bay, which could meet their very specific criteria. Well, firstly, unoccupied, right? So vacant, a space on Airbnb, etc., that you'd find would be vacant. A space only used for profit, not as residence. A space that belonged to someone who had more than one property. So again, was using the space exclusively for profit. Someone with high net worth. So in this case, you know, this belonged to a multiple business owner. Someone who didn't, preferably didn't live in the country, in this case, yes. And then again, historically, um, a space that had history. But soon we found that the whole area um, is is so full of, of very upsetting history. The upsetting history Gopman refers to is the displacement of the first inhabitants of the Atlantic seaboard. And so we thought about all these empty homes in Camps Bay, Clifton, Constantia, Out Bay, etc., you know, all along the coast. And we just started thinking about the fact that, you know, because of the protection of capitalism and profit, etc., even though there is a mandate in our Disaster Management Act to use existing infrastructure to house people, those spaces were not even kind of put on the table, you know, hotels, etc. Um, at some points in other places in the world, those spaces were considered, but I think... In South Africa, you know, the fault lines of race and class and capital means that, you know, we protect certain areas at all costs, certain kinds of people at all costs. In preparation for the occupation, the group started living together to build relationships and to know each other better. Eventually, they found a house with beautiful views, which was fit for purpose. When we finally booked the place because it kind of ticked the boxes we were looking for, there was definitely a moment of, oh my gosh, this is real. You know, we've just, we, we, we've cemented this, we've cemented the dates, we've, we're going to do it. But all along the way, it was more about getting ourselves mentally ready, doing care practices with each other, figuring out a politic as a group, um, making sure that we could live together because that was also a big thing, making sure that we could deal with whatever legal repercussions um, and whatever possible trauma might happen. My name is Wewengidi. I am part of a queer group that is called We See You, and I am a black queer feminist African artist 
who grew up during the apartheid regime in South Africa, which only gave me Bantu education. I resisted the propaganda of Bantu education system that erased my history and erased me. It was more of like a, like a quite an extensive workshop process. That's why I think it's important that we also mention that we're like an arts collective or also as some of us will say a family, you know, especially in the queer sense, because there was a lot of just relationship building that led to that moment. And we booked the space when we felt strong enough and ready enough to do so. After moving in and staying in the house for a paid weekend, they announced their illegal occupation on Monday the 21st of September through an email to the property management and social media posts. Their story made headlines. They call themselves the Queer Radical Feminist Activist Collective and to highlight their cause, they've occupied the upmarket Cape Peninsula. Their actions are aimed at highlighting... Popular among the rich and famous, most properties have seen these deals. During the days but the property managers are not impressed and they want them out by Thursday. Even though the group was at pains to explain that the sit-in was not meant to be an attack on the rights of individuals to own property, their action rattled many people, from politicians to bloggers such as Roman Kabanak of The Morning Shot. This sets a very, very bad precedent. Because not only is this illegal in nature, but also you're making it very difficult for young people in a similar position to be able to rent such places for holiday or for any other reason. But the fundamental flaw in all of this is that the solution to landlessness, gender-based violence, everything, is not to infringe on the property rights of others, especially those who are not connected at all to the problems you wish to solve. I was not surprised by the reaction. Um, I think we were very aware that we were challenging something that's so entrenched in like a lot of our psyches, even those of us who might sit in the working class or the, the kind of fragile middle class. The target was not personal. The target was a discourse or a dialogue around why are we not questioning this enough? You know, why, why does policy and law and just social discourse, why do we protect the rights and the experience of this person who's going to at best be mildly inconvenienced by all of this, who hasn't been hit really hard by COVID, but whose wealth and interests and property is protected kind of above all else? Among the criticism they received was a charge that they could have used the money spent on a weekend at a lavish B&B to pay someone's rent or set up a soup kitchen for people in need. This idea of kind of charity or just, you know, kind of giving resources while the major structural problem still exists is a very effective um, lie on capitalism and, and social activism, you know, like the, the idea that why not just keep trying to like plug holes in, in a ship that's sinking rather than trying to redesign it. So, I mean, for me, that was very, very expected. In fact, the group saw this criticism as a form of collective gaslighting. We see that, that kind of framing often, right? Like, why are you poor and you have nice shoes? Or why do you, can't you make ends meet at the end of the month, but you went out to a restaurant? It's all the ways that I think detract from, from the kind of systemic change that's needed and tries to place the onus on us, on people who are struggling to say, you know, you shouldn't have nice things. You shouldn't perform activism in this way. You should do it in this way because that to me makes sense. After three weeks in the House, We See You lost their case in court. 
They were ordered to leave the house while the local government secured a place for them to live, far from the most luxurious and expensive real estate in the country, to Philippi, a large semi-urban area which forms part of Cape Town's Cape Flats, including some parts of the city's larger black townships. Devaney is one of the seven occupiers. She explained why the group refused the alternative accommodation provided by the city of Cape Town. All they provided was a structure and some a plot of land in Philippi, which goes against everything that we've been saying from the very beginning of why we're occupying this space. Safe, dignified spaces need to be made available for queer people, women, children, um, people who are very are vulnerable in our city and live in dangerous conditions. Um, and then the city of Cape Town basically just gave us a slap in the face with exactly what we said was not suitable and not adequate. One of WCU's objectives was to also amplify a wide range of local and national housing and land rights movements, such as Abaslal Basem Jondolo or the Shaikh Dwellers Movement, which has branches nationally and Singabalapa, a group of homeless people in the city of Cape Town. Kelly says it was also important for the group to show that there is no single-issue struggle, since people don't live single-issue lives, to quote African-American poet Audre Lorde. I mean, I think that's exactly the problem, right, is that we have such a range of issues happening all at the same time. And they're not just theoretical, they're not just social, they're happening to our bodies as people and they all intersect. Um, and so a, a lot of like, it was very difficult, there was a lot of energy spent trying to push or trying to like make people understand that, yes, this is about land and housing and capitalism, but it's also about queerness and women and safe spaces and there, all those things exist as multiple problems. And as, as long as we try and apply singular struggles, we, we, we really miss the point. The point being to bring the wealthiest population into a conversation about social justice. What do you do when people storm your complex with a backup of gangsters and demand to take up residence in empty units? Or they put someone in there who needs a home and the law says you can't just evict them. While a malady investigates the disturbing trend. Since we see use action last year, there's been an increase in illegal occupations both in the city of Cape Town and parts of Johannesburg. One of them was the subject of South Africa's leading investigative programs, Carte Blanche, in April this year. There is a growing trend across Cape Town of people illegally occupying properties counting on COVID disaster regulations to protect them from eviction. Once they're in, they hope the lengthy court action using the Prevention of Illegal Eviction Act, PI, will protect them. But for Kelly and her co-occupiers, the ends did justify the means. It definitely had the impact that we'd hoped on some levels. I mean, it, de- it definitely started a national conversation around, again, these particular kinds of spaces. People were surprised at the action and so there was a lot of attention because it's also very sexy and it's a very easy thing to kind of, you know, capture in the media and get people talking about. And that's also weird because occupation is by no means new. 
There's a massive rise in occupations across the city, um, but none of those have, have been as, as heavily publicized or as fixated upon, you know, on the kind of daily mechanisms of what does this look like, et cetera. Because poverty, that, that, kind of, that kind of lens on occupation is just normalized. Yeah, sure, people are poor. They put up shacks on tracts of land, tell us something new. Like, you know, we're, we're normalized to that kind of thing. In 2014, Professor Bernadette Atauyene, a senior research scholar of law at Michigan University, published a book, We Want What's Ours, to shift the conversation of land reform from rural to urban areas, similar to what We See You was hoping to achieve. When you talk about land in South Africa and also outside of South Africa, everyone's focused on rural land, white farmers, black workers, and no one's really talking about people evicted who were evicted from urban areas. One third of the beneficiaries of the land restitution program were in fact evicted from urban areas, yet no one is talking about it. My book, We Want What's Ours, is the first comprehensive study of urban dispossession and urban claims. Instead of asking what it means for her to think African, I asked Kelly what her mom thought about her protest. My mom was really supportive. Like, my mom was a struggle activist, and my mom defied the law at a time when it was very dangerous to do so. And, and I think from that experience, has, ne- like, has never come to believe that the law or what exists um, as unquestionable social framework is right. Like that's not a part of her politic. I mean, we had long debates and questions and conversations around this whole action in the lead up, you know, um, like very rich debates around it. When it eventually like manifested, she was super supportive. She was at the house a lot, you know, she um, engaged with other members of the group. She is very proud, she says. Um, So that for me makes me very happy. Um, For me, it's a legacy of activism then also. To learn more about forced removals and evictions in the Western Cape, start by listening to Sound Africa's podcast, Auntie Petty's Garden. When I say I don't like white people, it doesn't mean to say I don't like you. It's a terrible thing to be told in your country of birth, you can't live here or you can't live there. You must get out and chase you away like dogs or start a new life in the Bundus. It's a hard thing, man. I, I just hope that one day I will, you know, be able to forgive. Next time, we'll speak to Kululegi Lebanzi, an activist with Singabalapa, or We Belong Here Backyard Street Dwellers Movement, who won a case against the city of Cape Town. You know, I don't want to be pointing fingers, but there's a president who's, who owns a company that's right in front of me right now, McDonald's. That gentleman has sold us out. That gentleman is the one that okayed the massacre of miners. But the very same ANC, the very same COSATU, all of them that said they are for workers' rights, they're the very same ones that put that guy in power. Until then, merci, obrigado, gracias, shukran, asante sana, bye danki, realebo. Thank you for listening. <laughs>